So yet again, the program starts on a downer. We're going to do four weeks of this. Four, four full weeks, weeks mm. of starting this shit out like a row from your parents. They're sitting you down, they're disappointed. Long story short, we need some money. I can't stand a silence anymore, Chris! <laughs> oh, I'm um, Yeah, long story short, we need some cash, I'm afraid. Uh, my cushions from a <laughs> But is killing them. Um, but yeah, we've been struggling a little bit to cover some of the, the cost of the podcast. We'd love it if folks would just set up maybe a wee pound an episode standing order thing uh, because we really don't want to have to start taking adverts but we've had a couple of offers and it's such a weird thing to be like alright are we gonna are we gonna hawk pants are we gonna sell our souls so yeah please if we can if we can get this thing to break even in the next few weeks we, we won't do that but I mean we, we might actually have to consider it at this stage Look, we're at that stage where a band could sign to a label, but they might make us do things, release songs that <laughs> they we don't want do to. Things. They might no, tell us do to things. go down our route, artistic route. No, let's be honest, we're at that stage where we're still convincing our friends to buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's true, that's true. Anyway, right, enough of this shit. This will be a fun episode, but, you know, come on. One more week of this turgid, downbeat intro stuff, but, you know, we will never do it again if things... Start taking How do you do- donate, Chris? Unsungpod.net forward slash donate. So you can also, if you're feeling free, uh, like some of our listeners, if you can see it within yourself to get to the figure of 100, when you get to that figure, you then choose the subject of the episode. And if it's geographically possible, and even maybe if it's not, if we can use some technology, mm-hmm. we'll record the episode featuring you. Um, yeah, our good friend Craig. Has probably earned it, but he lives in fucking Melbourne, so yeah. And it probably also, defeat the purpose flying three of us over there to <laughs> record a podcast of him. So there's your incentive. It's fine. Right, no more right. of this shit. Bye. Back to the episode. Hello, guys. Hi there. We're uh, now desatanized from last week's episode. Well, David's probably full of Satan. Yeah, I'm always full of Satan. Mm-hmm. The, the the meat substitute, not the actual both. Oh okay, okay, yeah, both. I yeah. mean, why not both? Well, since 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 we have last recorded, I have got a ram tattooed on my arm. Oh, that's exciting. Which is a bit satanic. Yeah, you are a bit of a, <laughs> a horny devil. Oh, <laughs> Method acting. Yeah, oh. that's actually true. That's having a Saturday. Right there. I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> Even I though I can't if, see I it. I can't tell if we're going to go through but pretending we're in the future. Yeah, I know, I don't know. It's too complicated. It's like a Terminator it's like Back to the Future. Terminator 4, really. <laughs> yeah. when, when the franchise should have been killed. Yeah, truly. They should have sent somebody back from the future to <laughs> really kill should've. the franchise. So on Saturday, Mark's getting his tattoo, but this is out after Saturday. So uh, Mark, was it sore? <laughs> ah, it's a tattoo. Of course it was sore. Yeah, and you are a convincing actor. I'm sure everybody completely sold on that. I've just realised that my phone case goes exactly with your socks and t-shirt. You mean the stuff I wore last week, then? The stuff that you're still wearing a week later. So Mark is still dressed uh, exquisitely in black and yellow. Um, like a bumblebee. Like fucking dumbass bumblebee. Mm, I think more like um, Big Bird. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Devil. What, what did you make of Big Bird? Um, I, I, I liked Big Bird. It was a little bit annoying, but I absolutely uh, loved um, the elephant. 
What was the elephant called? I don't know. Don't look at me. I don't know. Watch fucking Sesame Street. You didn't watch Sesame Street? Uh-uh. Well, that explains why you can't count or spell. Just... <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. Fuck. <laughs> was he an elephant or was he a mammoth? Oh, he's just an elephant, I think. Um, there was something all right about Big Bird. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just a good sentence. Something no right about, and that Sterling accent as well. There's something no right about Big Bird. Are you thinking about? Oh, are you thinking right. about Barney Dinosaur? Yeah, Snuffle Up, I guess. Snuffle Up, I guess. That's his name. There we go. Oh, I fucking love Snuffle Up, I guess. I mean, there, there was something off with a lot of the the Sesame Street characters. It's what, interesting. What do you mean? Well, it's still going as well. Something that do you I mean want. that they're not real? <laughs> I'm not sure they were Is real. Is that about their eyes? Um, Maybe. No, there's one with the eyelashes, isn't there? Snuffleupagus had the long eyelashes, but he also had a little sister called Alice. Mm. And he <laughs> he goes to Snufflegarten <laughs> rather than kindergarten. <laughs> Snuffy. That's what they just started calling him. Yeah, big snuffers. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of really good memes about Bert and Ernie. Yeah. Not suitable for work memes, but... Very funny memes. I fucking I loved Sesame Street. I used yeah, to I did love it. Yeah, absolutely. I loved. I think the count was maybe my favorite. Also, a big fan of uh, Grover always because things would go wrong. Who's that? <laughs> he was Grover. Grover. Yeah, Grover, the blue guy. He was always like a waiter or something, and he'd spill things. I was a big fan of near. Uh, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit. Or that thing, that thing uh, where they edged the halves of words together. You mm-hmm. know, dog, door, dog, dog. door, dog. Yeah, door. Um, did yeah. you guys see the AMA? The Cookie Monster did. Cookie the Monster what? did an AMA. Yes, the most wholesome thing that I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> Cookie Monster. He's the, he's like the sort of breakout. Sesame Street On with Elmo as well I suppose I think Elmo uh, shrugging Is the gift That I've used the most In my life mm-hmm. <laughs> what, how, what was the AMA like? It was basically Him responding to everything With how much he loves cookies Or about how you can't have Too many cookies Because it might make you ill And it's just <laughs> And it's just just Oh it's just so lovely and warm It is like One of the most pure things I've seen on the internet In quite some time It's truly tremendous I recommend Everybody to go and seek it out And read it, it's, it is, I mean Cookie Monster On Twitter Is also great It's pretty wholesome His last tweet Therapist And what do we say When we feel like this Me Cookies <laughs> Therapist No It's <laughs> <laughs> actually a good pattern uh, Man it was quite It was quite an age Because over here We had Fraggle Rock as well Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you had the Muppets, and you had Sesame Street, and just Jim Henson just kicking the shit out of every other lousy TV show. Every single one of them. Even Sooty had its moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, that, I'm not, not sure. Not a sentence I expected to be in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we are going to be talking about www.pitchshifter.com by the kind of industrial drum and bass metal rock punk band Pitchshifter. Uh, hang on, pos- hang on. Can, pos- I, can, I, can we just go back to Cookie Monster thing? I want to drop uh, in some just, things. We could just do that instead. Oh, yeah. I just want to drop in some things for AMA just to illustrate how wholesome it is. Sorry. Um, do you like your cookies crispy or soft? Cookie Monster. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good, man. Um, 
We should have, we should have done this in the Weezer episode. Yeah, so that's, that's just lovely. It's a positive it's so vibe nice. sort of yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I True. have a question. Was Animal a crossover member of Sesame Street and the Muppets? I think it was just a Muppet. I think he was just a Muppet. Yeah. But there was a band in Sesame Street that had a drummer. Oh yeah, maybe. Mm, possibly. That's a good, good point. point. Mm. Um, I remember the front guy of the band. Uh, like I remember him clearly, but I seem to remember the drummer as being Animal. Who were the crossovers? Kermit? Was Kermit other? in Sesame Street? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kermit was always in Sesame Street. Well, I would think Animal was probably the drummer then. Yeah, probably. We should just do a totally different podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Sesame Street Nexus. <laughs> that should be our Nexus from now on. Sesame uh, Street. Man, that would be so easy though. Think about all the people that have been on it. Yeah, I remember true. as a kid watching Michael Stipe on it. Even though I didn't know who the fuck it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah. We talk about some yeah, industrial let's rock. About, let's talk about some some music. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the opportunity to go back to the memory lane. I used to listen to Pitch Shifter quite a bit, uh, especially this album. Indeed, one of my most outrageous gig memories is from seeing Pitch Shifter in Edinburgh at the the venue. <laughs> what was the venue? Where was the venue? The venue. Um, it was at the back of Waverley Station. It's uh, now gone. I think it's now Student Flat. It's just up from Studio Twenty Four. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Carlton Studios, Carlton Studios. Yeah, Carlton. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it was not a big venue. I saw some good stuff in there. I, that's the place I had the ticket for Everclear and Feeder Joint Headlining Tour, supported by Muse, and I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel good bad. Choice. Don't feel bad. I didn't yeah, go. No, I, just didn't go and I know a lot of people would have been like, "Oh, you should." It would have been good to see you saw them in that place. I'd be like, "Nah, I wouldn't." No. <laughs> um, I did go and see a few shows there. I also took a stage dive when I played there and nearly ended myself. Oh, r- no. r- guitar. Um, but uh, the Pitch Shifter show donator to the podcast, Craig was mm-hmm. there now we got to that show really 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 early we were like the first in the queue and it was when pictures that were like blowing up um it was for this album and it was totally sold out and their bus was outside and uh i remember one of the people that we were with was absolutely soaked in the rain so we asked pitch shifter if they'd give them a jacket uh or like some kind of like coverall thing yeah or, uh what were they called a poncho Whatever. And they were like, no, why would we do that? And I remember specifically telling J.S. Clayton, the singer, uh, because then I won't phone and report that your bus tax disc is out of date. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> you sly little prick. Swear. Um, that's when like tax used to all be done by the discs in the window and their tour bus had an out of date tax disc. So we got Robert um, a poncho from that because they thought that was funny enough to, to merit, I think. <laughs> but at that show, donator to the pod, Craig was there with his insane ex-girlfriend who I happen to know from uh, a time where we grew up and um, I, I didn't know the guy at the time he was a couple of years younger than me and I remember being at the sort of mid to back of the room and in the venue it was very low ceiling and there were a lot of like metal air ducts like crisscrossing it and at one point his girlfriend went up crowd surfing and the kind of mischievous crowd were sick of this girl constantly going up crowd surfing and kicking them in the head so they just held her in kind of held her in place against the air conditioning so she'd stop being a nuisance <laughs> and she was like a tortoise trying to turn over just kind of pinned against the air conditioning and um, and the other thing that happened which was near the end of the show and and weirdly I've asked Craig about this um, in, in messaging I don't know if you know this because we didn't know each other and I was like do you remember that fall you took at Pitchshifter and he's like no what fall 
and he took probably the worst fall I've ever seen anyone take at a concert. Mm-hmm. It was horrendous. I think he actually had a sticky on his leg at the time, uh, like a what's cast. a non-Scottish a word for a sticky a cast on his leg. I think he had that. Anyway, he went up crowd surfing, and the crowd sort of heave hold him, right? And they heave hold him so much that he went over the security and landed on one of those metal fences. And then his neck landed perfectly in the edge of the stage, but his body fell down oh. in front and the band stopped because it looked so bad. And the metal fence, you know, those big kind of like transportable mm-hmm. security fence and things used for gigs had a huge bow in it where he'd landed on it because he'd, he'd flown so far. He doesn't remember any of this. And I remember it clear as day watching it and going, that's that guy from uh, from home. And uh, yeah, that was him. And I, I met him years later. Went, all right. You're alive then. <laughs> I see um, you still yeah. listens to this podcast. But that gig was unbelievably good. Yeah. I mean, that was a band at the height of their powers, blowing up in a pretty small venue that was famously good sound-wise, just really claustrophobic, sold out. It was just sensational. <clears throat> One of the best shows I'd seen. Yeah. So Pitch Shifter are kind of a weird band that were kind of split into two, really. Like yeah, in so terms of what people think of them Interesting thing There is a, a sort of Very strict orthodoxy Regarding the name And I noticed online when I was kind of starting to dig back into You know, I don't know, like coverage From before I was really a big fan There's a whole group Of their fan base that Totally dismiss Pitch Shifter One word Yeah. So prior to that they were Pitch Shifter Two words and that was a much heavier, much more industrial rock era. A lot of it done with drum machine. Then they became, for this album that we're covering, Pitch Shifter, all one word. And they were like, di- and then they were disavowed. Uh, and since. Have have since been disavowed even more strongly given the subsequent albums. Um, so it's it's yeah it's a band of two halves, uh, pitch shifter and pitch shifter. Now as it happens, even though this album was a big big gamble for them, it, they were they were moving in this direction. And I yeah, just, this was their fourth record. Yeah, and the album immediately prior it did drop some pretty big hints about what was to come. But I think it's a they fucking knocked it right out of the park. It was so exciting at the time in terms of the sound of it. Yeah, and now it's interesting that last week we talked about Salem, which was like very of its time, but it was of its time 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was very of its time 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, and it's, like even the album title www.pitchshifter.com is like yeah, so that was cool because people didn't really know what websites were yeah, it was 1998. Like yeah because this was the year I started uh, university yeah. a year, maybe even the year before and um, it was the year, year I started high school the year I started high school there you go guys <laughs> um, but I remember uh, clearly when I started the very start of my time at university the browser uh, was Netscape uh, sorry, the, the, the search engine was Netscape yeah. and the web was a list of websites. It yeah. wasn't a searchable bar. It was just a list of all the websites that there were. Yeah. And this is not 
like this is at, in that era and it, it's really really strange to think of that so yeah having that website especially having that website with your name was like wow yeah it's funny like as as soon as i started thinking of this record it was just such a throwback to that sort of era of the internet of uh like geocities and excite yeah, and totally. uh before you know, the internet was bought by you know the big companies it, and it was just a bunch of like well, it's a little People bit like, trying shit out. It's a little bit like stuff from the dark web back then, because it's all indexes. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was indexes. It wasn't searchable terms. Yeah. It wasn't about listing and search engine optimization. You didn't have a Google. You didn't have yeah. a YouTube. You and didn't have it, anything. It was the first time I'd ever heard of stuff like Aryan Nation and stuff, because I remember just browsing through of the list. Of course you ended up on that fucking Ex- hell. Of course, <laughs> but it was, it, that was really <laughs> exciting. It was taboo as fuck. You were like, wow, and they weren't blocked, because yeah. the institutions didn't really know to block them. There was It was so primitive rotten.com <laughs> rotten.com yeah ogrish yeah ogrish yeah, yeah um but it, it was really really fascinating time but yeah so pitch shifter came from nottingham they were uh formed in 88 ish early mid 80s 89 i think it was which is crazy because they were about a long fucking time but they started off as this like two-piece industrial project between mark clayden and uh john a carter who later actually left the band Mark Clayton stayed in it throughout and they were like it was a mixture of guitar programming uh, bass and vocals and very much in the vein of industrial metal a lot of like electronic drums uh, they kind of grew up alongside the band Godflesh who we've mentioned on the show a bunch of times I'm sure they'll get an episode of their own at some point really really good band Slightly more political than Godflesh. Uh, Godflesh were a little bit more art focused, but yeah. also very pessimistic and apocalyptic in a lot of their tones and themes. And their aesthetic and also their sound was very uh, reminiscent of early Fear Factory as well. Yeah, well, yeah, they had a lot of industrial peers, absolutely. So uh, their first album, Industrial, called Industrial, 1990, although it's listed on what it says 91, but it, it did come out in 1990. It came out on the 1st of January, 1991. <laughs> Think, mm. but it came out on a uh, peaceful records. Yeah, peaceful, which was like a sort of very well known and well respected heavy metal. Um, well, it still is a record label. When you hear uh, it as well, you can hear the heavy metal thing. They are a much more metallic group at this point. It's really, really early on. They toured with Napalm Death at this time as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that Peaceful was very associated with, like, Doom, but also the sort of crust-punk scene yeah. as well as just, like, heavy metal. Their main sort of bands were, like, um, My Dying Bride, Anathema, Opeth, Catatonia, Paradise Lost. As well as Dark Throne as well, um, like throughout the nineties, like they were like the sort of big bands, and they were also always quite sort of left leaning, pro sort of anarchist, very anti major label. Yeah, and that becomes a big theme in Pitch Shifter generally. Their kind of political uh, placement. Um, the album was apparently recorded for five hundred bucks uh, in what they described as a shithole in Leeds. 
Now, it's weird actually to think they were recording this album less than 12 months after Nirvana recorded Bleach. Yes. That's quite weird, eh? Also for $600, I believe. You could get some fucking good sounding records back then for that money. <laughs> yeah. True. It's crazy. Um, the cover of the album is a kind of weird shot of Frank from Blue Velvet dying, I believe. Um, but it's also the font use, like the big block capitals, the stretch letters. Of its time. It's very of its time, but it's also like very like, yeah, it's very industrial. And to be honest, that does look like a Fear Factory cover as well, yeah. like that. I, I was a big fan. I'd see those big chunky letters like Helmet and Unsane yeah. and Godflesh. They all had this really big, blocky, chunky thing. Really stood out in vinyls. You know, it really, really caught your attention from across the room. Yeah, so like a much, much more metallic sound at this point, though. Like really, really heavy. Really, the Godflesh comparison is very obvious. They brought out a submit EP, uh, the submit EP in 1992. Uh, still had a drum machine. Really chunky again. There were moments in the vocals in this one that were even deathier. In fact, there's a couple of bits in it that basically sound like Sepultura at points, which is quite strange. Uh, and it also has a lot of Ministry vibes. Now, as much as Godflesh and Pitchshifter came up at the same time, Ministry were genuinely pri- a good maybe three or four years ahead of them in every step. Yeah, they were much. the sort of real innovators of it. Ministry had started as a sort of like new wave synthy kind of band. Like they, yeah, they were in a... They sounded like Depeche Mode to begin yeah, with, but, but they then. got very, very dark, very, very fast, and they'd already had stuff like oh, Twitch and mm-hmm. oh, at least at least one other after that it was Land of Rape and Honey, maybe prior to this. I think that was ninety two. So. Uh, it came out before Desensitised anyway Yeah so Sam 69 The album prior to that There's at least two or three Ministry albums before this So they'd sort of like Set the template But you can hear the Ministry vibes in this a lot uh, Their third album Desensitised Came out in 93 Again still with a drum machine This one was A big progression This came out in Eric. Yeah indust- Yeah so like They moved over to Eric. Um Industrial Like ugh, Doesn't really stand up To me um, I don't think No I don't think It's they- very harsh But there's not a lot of memorable memorable riffs or or anything you you can see the sort of aesthetic they're going for but um they yeah had- desensitized sounds like a a good heavy band Like going back to it, you're like, oh yeah, they they're good at what they do. I think the desensitized sounds like a, f- a lot of their peers. It sounds like there's a band called Prong who were like they had think a track like Controller, which they were really well known for. Tracks like Cathode Undesensitized to me just sound a bit of a muchness at the time. What really kind of, I think, raised them up level was a tune called Triad on this one, which was like the breakout. Off, 
is actually featured in a film called Brain Scan in 94, which was written by a guy called Andrew Kevin Walker. Anyone know the name? I uh, no. Also wrote the film Seven and the ah, f- film 8mm. Oh, wow. um, and that track appeared in the soundtrack to that. Um, and it is just a notch above the, re- the rest of the material on it, in, in my opinion. Uh, that film, by the way, starred Eddie Furlong, possibly the most annoying person in the 1990s. Remember him? Oh, from Terminator 2 yeah. and American History X. He was, yeah. uh, he was a bad actor. He's <laughs> <laughs> going to be in the new Terminator film. Of course he is. Jesus. Is there a new one? Jesus. Yeah. Um, but Triad has a, a lot of the Godflesh stuff, but it's also got big doses of the early helmet stuff. Like like the, the really nasty, yeah, the big nasty stuff shit. by helmet, which is interesting for where they, for what it shows about where they were heading. Um, around about this time, they actually had quite a famous performance at the Phoenix Festival down south. Um, I don't know if you read about this at all, but uh, their manager must have got a bonus for this. So he managed to procure a tractor and okay. they kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, would you call it carved cut? They basically made a crop circle in the shape of the pitch shifter eye logo. Mm-hmm. So they had this very famous logo that appeared in a lot of their stuff. In a nearby wheat field next to the festival, which just set everybody talking. And then when the band actually played, the audience went fucking mental. And apparently the crowd rushed the stage and they were the only band to ever have to have their set at the festival stopped because it got so out of control. Mm-hmm. But the manager really deserved a big pat in the back for that because that's yeah. a stroke of genius. So that was in 93. Uh, there, there's a few EPs and stuff that we'll not faff about with, but it, their next record was in 96. Uh, it was called Infotainment. This is the first time I really heard about them. Infotainment? Uh, infotainment? <laughs> yeah, it's got a question mark. All right, okay. Infotainment? Sorry. And at this point, they're still pitch shifter, but this is the last time they'll be pitch shifter. And you can see their stuff changing in the band. One of the most famous tracks on it is a track called Virus, but I really don't think that track's aged well at all. It doesn't stand up so well. It was on the you know compilations, and it I think it had a video as well, but it doesn't really do that much for me. What turned me on to Pitch Shifter was a track, and that's called Underachiever. Dave, you might remember was it was it Metal Hammer? I think it was. On. It was either Metal Hammer or Kerrang. I think it was a Metal Hammer one. Um, yeah, so this this appeared on a compilation, a quite a good quality compilation actually, that quite a few folk were, were passing about and was one of the standout tracks on it. It's, it's really unusual. It doesn't follow the sort of familiar patterns of industrial rock that, that people had gotten used to prior. It does something really, really different, really imaginative and is just very nasty as yeah. a result. Well, um, this album starts... Starts taking in samples and sort of drum and bass sort of bits and sort of dance music glitchy sort of stuff. Yeah, and and the vocals start to drift away from the grunts and the the deathy sort of like. Yeah, there's definitely a bit more melody happening. Now, at this point, uh, it's a full band because, as we said prior, it was Mark Clayden and John Carter. Now, at this point, Mark Clayden's been joined by his brother, uh, John Clayden, or G.S. Clayden, uh, as he became known, uh, as well as a guy called Stu Tullin. 
Um, JS Clayton, I believe, had lived in France prior to that. He was like, he used to, he was an artist, used to sell paintings for a living. Uh, but then he became part of this band, and that became the definitive lineup. Um, Mark Clayton stopped with the vocals after the first record, and JS Clayton took the lead. But he evolved his vocal style the longer the band went on, because certainly early on you couldn't, for example, make out his accent. But by the time they got to this point, you could hear a big punk influence coming through. Now, 96 was not yet... Were we into the Prodigy period? We weren't really, were we? The pro- what? No, I mean... I mean, just not, in, not in the real good life. start to dance, but in terms of the fat of the land, where was uh, that? Fat of the uh, fat of the land. I think breathe and Firestarter came out in '96, right. and then fat of the land was released in '97. Um, but I'm pretty sure. So Jim Davis, you know, then joined Pitch Shifter for he'd, the next album. Yeah, but yeah. he'd been in the Prodigy live band for a while, and he'd done stuff on Music for Agility Generation, uh, and you can hear that on Their Law by. Which is track three on Jilted Generation, and yeah. that's like got pure guitar. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah Jim from Pitch Shifter. Yeah, so Jim Jim Davies joined uh, Pitch Shifter for uh, following this album, maybe even for the live shows. I'm not sure. They, he also brought a lot from the Prodigy. I think they were influenced quite a bit by the Prodigy, and certainly J.S. Clayton as a frontman seemed to be quite influenced by Keith Flint, mm-hmm. uh, going for like really simple, repeated phrases. And he brought his accent out a lot more. They started to sound like a bit, a bit of a kind of classic snotty punk band. A lot of this, the Sex Pistols thing came through. Yeah, it's one of the notes I've got like on the record, which we'll get to obviously later on. It's like, like he starts to have that like snottiness of, yeah. of like. Uh, John Lyon. John Lyon. Mm. Um, yeah, well, funnily enough, you even mentioned like there's hints of Liam Gallagher in his delivery. So this is the really weird thing. See, if you listen to the later stuff, certainly stuff on Deviant, um, the, their fifth album, you, you actually hear a lot of it. Like, sound. Like yeah. you hear like bits of Liam Gallagher appearing, and it. But I mean, that's just a Northern English man. <laughs> It's, you know, doing his thing. It's still but. strange to hear it. It's strange to hear that crossover, given yeah. the music so different. Um, with infotainment, they had a, they had an edition of that that came out with a, a thing called Exploitainment. Did that have a question mark? Mark? No. <laughs> Are you questioning Mark? And that was like a, beat, a bonus DVD that had a couple other tracks. Well, that's it. some. It was a CD ROM, and that's something that Pitch Shifter were always on top of, the and they were always yeah. ahead of the game in terms of using technology, in terms of using the internet, obviously, but also using CD-ROMs. And, and it fitted with the aesthetic, because they were quite technological, like they had electronic samples, yeah. they had this sort of aesthetic of punk, but like techno-punk, yeah. and that's what they started to move towards. Uh, however, and I guess in, in flying in the face of that, that was the first album where they started uh, recording with a real drummer, um, and that made, that made a big change to what they were doing. Obviously, WWW came after that, uh, but following WWW, in 2000, they did the album Deviant. Which, by the way, features a guest appearance from John Stenier, yeah. which was quite strange. And Jello Biafra on the song, what's it called? As Seen on TV. As Seen on TV, that's the one. Um, Stood behind John Stenier 10 days ago. 
he's still got that very high symbol. <laughs> <laughs> Does he's he reach a nice up high? Yeah. yeah, he's got a very nice pink shirt. When you serve him his rider, has it got to be just out of reach? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all his beers are on the very um, high shelf. And Deviant's not a bad album. I mean, they made a big push for it. There's a, like a lot, like obviously an attempt to be like, oh, this band's taking, let's make, let's push yeah, it. Yeah, well, the I top. mean, WWW was their first record when they, they signed to Geffen, you know, yeah. so that was, it was that point in the late 90s when new metal was coming out, when Ozfest was happening, you know, when Redding and Leeds were very heavy, you know, there was money in metal and Geffen signed Pitchshifter, you know, a UK industrial metal band. And a US major came over and, you know, put a lot of money into them. Which is odd, though, because WWW only sold, I think, 66,000 records in the States, in which the is States, a drop yeah. in the ocean at that time. Yeah. I mean, given that, you know, Nirvana were shifting 3 million, 4 million, 5 million. Yeah, um, but it's interesting that there, there's not that many British metal bands from that era at all that, you know, that got signed. Um, but it's it's <laughs> odd. You're right. And it's odd that 66,000 is enough to kind of catch their eye. I mean, they maybe saw potential in it, I guess. Well, no, but like 66 was after, that was on their first record by Geffen. I beg your pardon, yeah. You know, like Pitchshifter then went out there without, you know, having toured America that often and, you know, they're in a different territory. I think 66 is pretty good, to be honest. Um, I think the one that failed was then Deviant because I remember there was a whole load of hype in the UK. Yeah. In Kerrang, they were like, Kerrang supported them, Metal Hammer were supporting them. Um, Did you say they got five out of five? Got five out of five, and they were like on the Kerrang tours. They were all over, you know, the music television. They had some videos. They also had the Ununited Kingdom EP, which had come That's out right, just yeah, before. Yeah. And like I remember, the the Deviant artwork had been like banned in Poland because it featured the Queen and the Pope brilliant, put I together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- um, and so like yeah, they were a sort of you know big deal like they were being set as the UK's big metal band an answer to sort of the American new metal invasion yeah. and then it just kind of got lost a little bit you know that album came out and it got a decent reception but um, the, art, the artwork thing is brilliant it was a guy, a guy called Guy Vulture I don't quite know how to say the name but uh, he'd, he'd done art for Crass and for Carcass as well but the, the yeah the blending of the Pope's face with the Queen's face got them banned in Poland and the fucking band apologised that's so weak. I know, that's lame. It's so lame when you given like you when you take into consideration the rhetoric. But sorry, what I should say is when I say it's not a bad album, it's a very average album. It that's it's got moments and it's got a lot of promise and you can see why the label was probably quite excited about it and willing to put so much publicity behind it and so much money, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, it, there's a couple of like strong tracks and I remember Dead like, Batteries are really good. Dead Batteries good. Everything's fucked. I quite like that track. That's a pretty good song. But um, then there's stuff like the, the opening track, Condescension, is fucking rotten. Yeah. Um, it's just, there's way too much Prodigy copying and going on in there. There's a lot more singing in this album. Sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Uh, the track Hidden Agenda is pretty close to the stuff in www. But it's sort of like a, a pale imitation it just, of it. It feels like there's a lot of fat on it. Yeah. It, it, I think, I don't know, they, they, they had changed so much by this point and they'd. They had a lot of resentment from their, their original fan base. That yeah. They were like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, is it must that? be difficult. Yeah. Like dealing with that because, yeah. Because at this point, they're releasing singles. Because a lot, like, I remember a lot of bands of that time did try and do, like, the new metal thing. I remember, 
you know, Machine Head came out with their new metal record. Fear Factory came out with their new metal. Even fucking Slayer did a new metal record, basically. <laughs> yeah. And they tried it, dipped their toe in it, and then they went back to doing metal. Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah, Motley Crue did a ton of metal yeah, that's record. True. That's true. But like this was different. This was like the the band had just changed. They were yeah. a different band, basically. Even with you know, like um, and they leaned further and further and further into that John Lydon esque singing, uh, as we said, Liam Gallagher esque at points. Do you know there's another band that I remember that sounded a lot like them, uh, and it just popped into my head. Grand Theft Audio. Do you remember them? Oh wow, that's a that's one of those fucking a blast from the past. I think it was on a cover disc sort of band. Yeah, I think one of them was like the guitarist from Three Colours Red or something like that. But they were trying to do this like prodigy pitch shifter type thing and it was also really punky. Like it was really weird how that was a vibe that people were putting money into and people were like oh yeah it's it's really interesting to see how influential the prodigy were on metal yeah. in britain as the, well there as was dance. a lot of those bands you're right especially in kerrang and metal hammer and the problem was because they were so technology specific and aesthetically using like computer generated art and stuff that stuff ages so badly another one is uh apartment 26 <laughs> your pals you've got loads of these man. uh do you not remember you know apartment 26 do i Am I not correct in saying you know one member, uh, the son of one member of Black Sabbath? Oh. Uh, because Apartment 26 featured a different son of a different member. And for some reason, Apartment 26, I'm, I remember one day going to the post and there was a CD for me, aged 15, and it was the Apartment 26 EP. And I'd never heard of them. I don't know why it had been sent to me. Because <laughs> uh, they knew you were a mover and a shaker. And, yeah, exactly. And, and you'd mention it on this show. Exactly. <laughs> Finally, 14 years later. Um, but yeah, that was like a sort of UK based like industrial new metal sort of thing. And it just sounded a whole lot like pitch shifter or just it sounded like metal, but they'd heard the prodigy. When you are when you are trying to be on the cut or trying to be in the cutting edge, I want to emphasize that and relying on those kind of aesthetics and relying on like technology, it just invariably becomes obsolete so quick. So, yeah. I mean, you have to use it in a way that doesn't badly date it and i think a lot of those bands just or you have to be bigger than the date you have to sort of yeah, yeah be timeless with it. It. Yeah. yeah yeah so and this certainly deviant definitely didn't do that what else didn't do it was psi uh their their final album 2002 
Is it the final album? They, they brought They've never released an album. Um, They've done some singles, singles that have been released yeah. lately, but yeah. So I PSI's... Think just demos from their, their, their supposed seventh album, which never got released. Well, PSI is just way too shiny and sort of slick. Yeah, by this it's point... It's fatty they, as well. There's yeah. a lot of fat on it. Oh, it's, it's, it's not a great record. Like, on the nose, it got two out of ten in NME, and to be honest, it's probably probably about right. Uh, it wasn't on a major label because obviously they'd they'd had their shot. They hadn't broken any kind of records. I think it was thirty thousand they sold in the states for Deviant. You know, there's even bits in this that sound like the kind of later slicker bits of corn. Mm-hmm. It, it's really weird. It, it, it's, it is very far from where they started, and they've way overshot the mark. If you know what I mean. And yeah. So going back to www dot that for me is a combination that's really good. But not massively outstanding industrial band because there were a lot of industrial bands. Yeah, incorporating something, taking a big chance, and it actually really paying off. I know loads of people are are sort of uh, are nostalgic for those those heydays of old Pitch Shifter when they were my band and they were much more of a a genre thing and much more of a niche thing. But www dot even though it did propel them to a higher level, it did so. Without it sounding forced, it did so. It, it melded all these influences really, really well. Yeah, and I think their earlier records sound like other bands, and they they might do it well, but they you know they sound like other bands. I think their later records sound like Pitch Shifter, but they're not that good. Yeah. Whereas this album, it just sounds like Pitch Shifter at its best. Yeah, like they did sort of define a, a sound at some point. Mark, when you 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 must have heard them. Around the Deviant era, would it Deviant be? era, yeah, like yeah. Hidden Agenda was a big one on, on Dead Battery. I yeah, think. Dead Battery was on Crank TV a lot of the time um, when I was, I would have been like 16 at the time. How did you th- feel about it? Because you were a punk. It was just, it just sounded like new metal to me, even though that definitely wasn't. But at the time, it just sounded like it was a part of everything. A bit like Fear Factory, who, who I had more familiarity with. Um, Fear Factory covered uh, a track early on, actually. Fear Factory covered a track called Landfill, which was on their first and their second albums, I think. It's a pretty stinking song, to be honest. It, it is fucking industrial landfill. Um, but uh, yeah, Fear Factory. I've never a big Fear Factory. Neither was I. But there I are just, some yeah. fucking great Fear Factory tunes, but they're never the ones that I should like. I heard like I don't only heard them again through music TV and stuff like that. So, but they were obviously. What's, much I really like Fear Factory tune goes. Um, I can't remember. Oh man, I mean, I could talk about Fear Factory for a long time. I bet you could. But like, I was, I ended up staying up quite late the other night watching old bands at their best. <laughs> and like, there's a live session of Fear Factory, like early 90s. Oh my God, the chug is unbelievable. Like, Dino's <laughs> a total riff monster. Yeah. They were so tight. They were so tight. Um, you can see why they covered Landfill because the early stuff by Pitch Shifter is. Yeah, Chock, yeah. Chock-a-chug blocked yeah, you know totally. I mean? it, is, it is fucking full of these like staccato pulled kind of riffs just mm. off time That did like loads of metallic edge in them early on So it, it does make sense I just think that song is fucking chronic yeah. The lyrics on it are brutal 
which is in contrast to what they started to do later on. So you mentioned it earlier on. They were always very left field and um, what's that record label called? Peaceville mm-hmm. were always quite left field and the, and the bands they backed as well. Like, so Pitch Shifter certainly, as they developed, got the stronger and stronger and stronger thread of quasi-anarcho, certainly far left politics, which yeah. at times was really, really interesting. And certainly, I don't, Infotainment, the album cover was from like They Live. And that sort of yeah. thing, you know. So it was quite culturally and aware. Yeah, there was a lot of nods to to that kind of culture. Absolutely, I think at that age, I, rem- I mean, I, I look back in that age, and certainly I'm, I'm definitely well left to centre. But I do think some of the stuff that I bought into at that time, it makes me cringe a little bit, and um, because I do realise as well how much of it was being sold to me, which is you know, ironic. Ironic, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, th- there's a little more ironic than pitch shifter constantly banging on against capitalism, but signing a Geffen. Yeah, you know, I mean, that is, and I know it's the Rage Against the Machine phenomenon as well, but it's hard to swallow in retrospect. You know, that they were, yeah, they were. I, I mean, I like tracks on this album, like secondhand and stuff like that. They're quite on the nose, left wing, like very, sort of anarcho sloganeering. Yeah, sloganeering, and I'm like, fuck, I, I think I literally wrote those lyrics when I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, oh. I, you can yeah. see how it how it hit its target. I mean, there wasn't a lot of that though. There wasn't a lot of overtly political punk. These guys were obviously big fans of stuff like Crass and Discharge, and a lot of the anarcho scene when they were younger. And certainly, a lot of the industrial scene came from that scene as well, via Crust and via like bands like Napalm Death, who they toured with early on. So a lot like the big left wing messages were there, and I don't doubt for a minute that that is ideologically where they sat. But I think they sort of like held their nose yeah. when it came to hypocrisy that was maybe evident. And I mean, certainly when they were doing the bigger tours, they they weren't booking with ethical touring companies. Yeah. They weren't they weren't particularly discriminatory in the venues that they were playing in. But I think once again, you kind of have to maybe look at the historical context of where they were. They're coming up during the nineties, which was the sort of this golden era golden yeah. era you know fukushima said it was the end of history like everyone was comfy we had clinton in the white house and we had blair in the yeah folk getting impeached every- for lying about blowjobs <laughs> yeah mean, exactly quaint life was fucking <laughs> majestic for the west in uh, the 90s and so for an angry teenager who was like i think the system is fucked anyway this was like really on you know hit home but like overall, it maybe didn't hit the mainstream sort of thing that it could have because, to be honest, people were actually like, oh, I don't know if there is actually that much wrong with the system because I'm having quite a good time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they, and they certainly weren't the only ones doing it. I mean, I, I've mentioned before, Ministry were guilty of that. When I went to see Ministry, their visuals, as much as they're entertaining, are incredibly on the nose. The projections of George Bush morphing into Donald Trump, you know, and like all all this kind of stuff. It's like... Yeah, I get it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I have read one Chomsky, Chomsky book. Thanks very much. Totally. And there's so many, like, I mean, I, I don't want to shit on Bill Hicks. I, I really love Bill Hicks. It was really relevant to me when I was younger, but there's a lot of the messages in that as well that seem really glib now. And I think a lot of the a lot of the lyrics in, in Pitch Shifter are quite glib. Low-hanging fruit, you know, sloganeering, as you say. And yeah, www. does have a fair bit of that. But in amongst that, it also has some really interesting ideas. So yeah, let me talk about it. Go for it. Mark, before I even dig into the songs, man, overall, what did you think of the record? Uh, it was fine, yeah. It didn't bowl me over. Um, it wasn't really what I was expecting. Um, I was I was expecting something more numerically just because of my own kind of false memory with the beginning of them, which is fine. I was young. That shit happens. I wasn't quite prepared for how great his voice is to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he does put a lot of like that mm-hmm. punky character into yeah, it yeah. that is like quite theatrical. I think it? that is one of the things though that really marked him out for the crowd, and I, I can see how that might be like Marmite, but. I do also think it's a big part of who that band became because it, it, it did emphasise their punk credentials and that was clearly something they wanted to lean towards. I saw them touring with Bad Religion mm-hmm. later on. You know, that, that was something they were they were trying to push towards to get away from the stodginess of the metal and become and, and represent that kind of punk the, the punk roots. I guarantee you the Lost Prophets will have played with these guys because in the first Lost <laughs> Prophets record, Ian Watkins sounds almost as exactly like him. Yeah, probably. That would, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, pitch after Nottingham to early two thousands. I can imagine them playing Nottingham Rock City together, no doubt. Uh, it's probably on the Deviant tour. I'd, I'd imagine, which is quite ironic, really. Um, probably <laughs> probably like, around, around about that time. They, they, uh, they toured. They did not play with Funeral for a Friend at one point. Uh, Funeral for a Friend. I mean, yeah. They, basically, all these yeah. Uh, UK bands did, of I a certain did a tour era. With, that incorporated they, it was actually a bunch of bands that were coming up at the time so they may well yeah, have been one of them would have been but that, Funeral yeah. for a Friend were one, were, were one of those bands yeah so I mean Earth Tone 9 that was another Earth one Earth Tone 9 are, are like quite akin they were a bit more tool though yeah Earth Tone 9 went down like the sort of tool route rather than the the sort of um, industrial route they toured together quite a lot Earth yeah. Tone 9 and Pitch Shifter and that's another band you should probably check out if you're looking for a nostalgic yeah. sort of riff on the whole man like this record that uh, I had some good points on it that I enjoyed. Uh, it was too, too prodigy for me, but the, Jim, Jim Davis was in both bands, so the yeah, and there's a lot of Keith Flint and Foreman James yeah. Clayton mm-hmm. vocals. I do, I, I do, you do hear it a lot. You yeah. hear that the Firestarter, especially that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, that. which was like a huge yeah. sort of cultural oh yeah phenomenon uh, phenomenon oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the UK in the mid nineties. Um, what I did like about this, and I think me and David are kind of like benefited from nostalgia a bit as well, but. Uh, fuck some of the songs really really stand up really fucking well like I, I think some of them have aged so much better than the songs either side of them the stuff from the later era and the stuff from the earlier era yeah. just because they were better songs so even though they do sound dated in terms of tone and ideas because drum and bass was so fucking big at the end of the, the 90s anyway in Britain and they were a metal band trying to incorporate that they've used it well enough that when when I listen back to it I, I don't listen back to it and kind of like wince I'm like it still fucking works in this record. It's it's actually really well considered. Pendulum clearly fucking loved these guys. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Pendulum and Chase, Chasing Status mm. and stuff like that. Um, um, so they had a guy called D Walters who played live. I st- I think the the drums in the record though are probably programmed, but um, they did they did have a live drummer. Uh, and the first track, Microwave, just starts straight in with a drum and bass line. Like almost like a, you know, a cliche drum and bass, like drum and bass loop three or whatever, you know. Yeah, which then the same, pretty much the same sample that Slipknot have at the beginning of Eyeless. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's that drum and bass loop. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah is, that. Maybe it's you know they probably maybe Slipknot took that from the free, free samples, samples at the end of this record. <laughs> it's I think it's quite clever as well though because the next element to come in is J S Clayton straight into Johnny Rotten mode, mm-hmm. and I don't mind that. Because they, they are setting out that this is a this is a different thing. Yeah, there's a lot of swagger and attitude yeah. in it. They're fully committing to what they've been hinting at on infotainment. It's got the nine inch nails swagger, man. It's got the pure Trent Reznor on steroids. Fucking like this is what I am when I'm being as aggressive as fuck. Yeah, totally. Which I like. Um, they also do. I, I really love the dropouts. Yeah, man, 
you know what I mean? They do this thing with the drum beats, just it, it yeah. builds up, drops silent, yeah, that's a total and drum and bass thing. It's a really yeah. nice technique, and they use it really well in that. And then at the end of the track as well, they've got pretty much the same structure, but they add this kind of car alarm guitar line yeah. that just lifts that last chorus but like the, really well. The, the chorus is basically just him going, microwaved! Yeah. But like, uh, I don't know, it's the peaks of this record. It just has the energy and that spike that it just fucking takes it. Yeah, I'll, you I'll know, work. if they'd been doing it flat in the studio two years later, I don't think this song would have worked. True. But like, they just pull it off. A lot of time, their choruses are just like one idea, but played really saturated. Yeah. To, to contrast with the verse, like the songs are actually often about the verse. Like Genius, the, the one we'll talk about in a second, is like that as well. The, the the main body of work happens in the verse, and then the chorus is just this simple. Yeah, plan. breakdown of like, yeah, one word. Very fucking loud, you know, and, and like with a, a big kind of sonic spread in it. Second hand, the second track. I think that's one of an, another kind of fairly effortless incorporation of drum and bass. Probably why they put it in as well because it does feel very easy. Yeah. In the mix now, lyrically, yeah, it's that's one of the ones that's very on the nose, and also his vocals are just a little bit annoying in it because it's like this is also that thing though. Now, when we were listening to this before the Mark got here, right, I kind of clicked the fact that, and I've never noticed this about Pitch Shifter, the backing vocals. Are so fucking catchy and this is one of the tracks where you end up singing the sec second hand like you end up singing the backing vocal rather than the lead vocal and that's fucking no small feat yeah, and that sort of comes from their sort of punkier, exactly like gang shout sort yeah. of vibes. But I, I think it's a brilliant inclusion, an uh, introduction into the, the work of the band. Like it, it fucking really makes a lot of the best songs on this. Sounds like Marlon Manson uh, guitars. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a really electro breakdown in this song as well. Like a really electro breakdown. I didn't even remember it, like how electro mm. it, it was. It actually works really well. And the fucking bass guitar in this song as well just sounds like a tractor. Yeah. They, they do that quite a lot. They have this really, really overdriven bass sound and it's a fucking really cool tone. Um, the third track, Genius, that was their anthem. That was like the pitch shifter anthem. It was the one that you'd, it was a pitch yeah. shifter song you'd hear in clubs. I heard that. It was on a Metal Hammer CD, I think, and it was the live version. And you know what? The like the live recording is actually better than the, yeah. uh, this version. Because well, it's the even more... As well. I think they've got a sampler and the live drums. And it's just maybe like a little bit faster, a little bit edgier. And I was like, oh, I really want to see them live. The, the, the weird synth pad intro to this was like a hands in the air moment. You see where you're in a club and it came on. Like it was just one of those moments where you immediately recognised what tune it was. See the drum beat, the drum beat at the start, that, that sample, that's, that's, that's that on the break beat. Like the Amen break, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much. That's well. That's basically what drum and bass is. Yeah, is yeah. like the Amen break, 
which comes from this like uh, soul song from the 50s and then they just speed it up to fuck mm. and then it's been going for 40 years or 35 like so years. much about this song is very very simple because the vocal as well like even the, the line dysfunction dysfunction is a function it was just like almost insidiously catchy sort of mm-hmm. thing even if you didn't like the line you just knew it you just it just it just got fucking hooks into you and I, I, it's, it's a really cleverly written song and the chorus is just the word genius stretched out and in fact there's a couple of times in it they use like a rotary gate um, you know, chopper effect on the vocal as he draws the line out, it starts to snip. It's a really fucking cool effect. Really, really cool. Uh, I'd never heard it before at that point. I have to say, I've kind of fallen in love with it since. Track four, Civilized, was a really good pacer at the time because even though yeah. it's not a particularly sort of gentle song, it starts really gently. It shows a kind of side to the band that I don't know if they'd ever shown before. Um, yeah, and it's it's maybe a bit when I was listening to it again for the first time, I was like, oh, this is a bit generic new metal. Actually, this is like the most new metal it sounds. I think, but then like the chorus is actually yeah really good, and you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. It's way more upbeat and like a bit funkier. It's, it's got a really interesting kilter on it and this is one of the ones with the Liam Gallagher one because there's a line that goes you got nothing on me See, I was thinking about you said obviously you said the Liam Gallagher thing and I think that's fair to say man but I actually wrote down Ian Brown here oh yeah yeah well I mean Same I sort of there's thing, a reason yeah. for that Cause I, cause, but it sounds like it's the, the melody sounds like it's come straight off a Stone Rosie song as well for that part that part when he sings it like not, not Oasis to me but like Stone yeah. Roses but it's, it is pretty much the same thing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, subject to status, when I first got into Pitch After This was one of my favourite tunes by them. Mm-hmm. Um, Baseline alone on this tune is a fucking brilliant hook. And it's got a great chorus. Um, I really love that kind of kind of weird chopped drum mm-hmm. like snare fill thing that stops it every time and just and the way I think as well the intro to this song the way that the ingredients come in and slowly the song doesn't speed up but it starts to get it busies up and then he brings it in with that long sneered ah kind of effect. It's a really, really well written song. Um and again, the post chorus thing. There's there's like a there's like a chorus and then the later on in the song the chorus is a bit that follows it that's even heavier. Yeah, it's just a really nice bit of writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as good as the song was, it's not as good as WYSIWYG. Mm-hmm. 
fucking love this tune, man. <laughs> I remember this one from the show, and this the, yeah. the room went absolutely fucking bananas when they played this. What you see is what you get. Uh, the the be- like it's one of the best riffs of my teens. You know, I just absolutely love that fucking guitar riff at the start and the way it explodes out. I love the drive. It's got a driving feel. It's a proper driving song. That yeah, one. it's yeah. it's a good powerful. Well, that's something edge, that um, I think this album soundtracked several driving video games. Yeah. And like was that Twisted Metal, that, wasn't it? Yeah, Twisted mm. Metal 3, I think. And that's something I relate to, like, music like this, because I used to play Carmageddon a lot, because it was the fucking best game ever, and it had a Fear Factory soundtrack, which just matched that sort of sci-fi driving thing. And this is, like, that exact sort of thing, like, bitmap graphics from the late <laughs> 90s, you know, fling, yeah, weird guitars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's also, like, a, a really good technique in this song with the, the guitars DI'd, but there's a sort of wah effect on it, and it's, mm. it's really odd, but it works very, very well. Um, and again, in this tune, the backing vocals are one of the best hooks for me. Absolutely fucking yeah. love it. Please, sir. Dave and I both at the same time noted that it starts like placebo. The first, like the first, like, yeah, it's a, twenty seconds or something. Totally. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a dark feeling song, isn't it? Compared to the other stuff, and they're not exactly a light band. Yeah, it goes into again. It strays into prodigy territory after that. Um, yeah, definitely. I've got that as well. Yeah, mm. hyper political in the lyrics to this one. Guitar solo is cool though. I like guitar solo. On the well, I'm not knocking the song. Yeah. I really like it. I, it's um, I, I just I really loved the. This is one of the ones where I thought the lyrics were not too obvious. Talking about like pay your bit to the world trade deficit and things like that I, I, I quite liked it it's, it's still a bit OTT but I think it gets a pass uh, didn't hit in too many cliches um, and I think it, it does demonstrate that they were trying to do a kind of turn of the millennium version of like late 70s punk It really conveys that side of what they were trying to develop about the band and what they were trying to move away from as well. Disposable is that cheeky wee acoustic. Like bands like bands like I remember that band Sunna. Used to do a lot of acoustic stuff, even though they were doing this big industrial grunge. Yeah, I forgot about Sunna. They dro- they're actually they're like, one day I might take that album. Um, mm-hmm. Good album, but yeah, That's like, pretty good, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, the bands would drop in these kind of like cheeky, sort of very processed acoustic songs. So it's an acoustic song, but it's not by any means simplistic. It was w- when they were going, hey guys, have you, have you heard Nine Inch Nails? I've heard Nine Inch Nails. Let's do a Nine Inch Nails song. And I think one of the coolest things about this is the fact that the, the CD skips in the guitar line are what give it the percussion. You know, that, those little, at the end of the line, that's where the beat comes from. It's almost like a snare fill, just the way that the guitar line skips along. Um, it's a slow builder, but it bursts out really well in the chorus, and it's got that massive jungly 
fucking second drum and break bit. Second chorus. When it gets frantic around about a point, it's great, and it's got this it's got a proper sub drop as well, man. When the big riff comes in, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, a better lie, track nine. Now, I think this is a good song, but I don't think there's anything in this song that the band haven't already done. And I do. I would concede that I think the album doesn't end nearly as strong as it starts. A, be- agree, yeah. a better lie is a good song, but it's it's maybe the kind of song you do expect around track nine. What it feels closest to is Deviant, which is a good template executed mm-hmm. well, but nothing that makes you just fucking jump out your seat the way you get with WYSIWYG or the yeah. way you get with Genius or the way you get with Microwaved. But by no means bad. Certainly, I wouldn't fault the album massively for it. In it is just that weird mad drum and bass dubby mm-hmm. instrumental thing, which is actually not not a terrible idea. The only thing is it's not dated particularly well. Yeah, it's not. You know, yeah, it, stuff like that. Unless you're fucking Apex Twin. Stuff like that can date very yeah, quickly. Exactly. Um what's in it for me? I don't know. Like, I thought it was kind of forgettable to be honest. Yeah, I think the problem is you've been the album is starting to stretch out at this point. Uh, it's like it's a little bit dated. Um, with sample stuff in it I don't know but considering it does give you an opportunity to reality check how far away they are at this point from their early career and that's that alone is fascinating so if this if this had just come out you'd be like fucking hell this album is never going to be at no point is it going to revert to type this is what we are now this is what Pitch Shifter is now um, and I think that's pretty interesting um, and it's it's got a couple of nice wee industrial bursts they, n- they don't realise they're just in there to fuck with you a wee bit and there's there's some good lyrics in it and then uh, well in my version at least uh, track 12 is the banging samples list of one, one minute 43 but that's like their sort of anarchist uh, sort of thing yeah you know hey, hey here's the samples that we use make your own thing out of it yeah even though on a CD that's really fucking difficult to do in 1999 <laughs> because you can't copy that. It's more about the gesture, isn't it? It's yeah, more exactly. about branding. Now, you guys listened to a version of so that had two extra tracks, is that right? Yeah, so there's, I don't like it. Can which... I just point out, I was using my original <laughs> copy that I bought in 1988 <laughs> or whenever. So, so I don't like it. Um, what did you think of that, Dave? Uh, it was alright. I remember it. Was that not a B-side? I don't like it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was quite punky. I have that, so I think it must have been a B-side and something. That actually really reminds me of that Grand Theft audio band who were kind of, yeah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I dug the riff, but it it sounds a bit like Nine Inch Nails, like when Trent's been, you know, big. Aye. And the last song was ZX81, which is just a big ambient closer.
It's the same kind of motif that repeats. Yeah, I can it's see why they just put it on down. because it's yeah. like a f- sort of fitting closer to the record. It, it might have been sums it up a, a little better bit. option to do that than the last three songs. If you know what I mean. And Aye, yeah, to, yeah. Put that in as track ten. Yeah. yeah, there's a laugh towards the end, which comes in and it's quite creepy as well, which is quite cool. I'm a big fucking fan of this album. Honestly, I, I was surprised at, when I took the spin and said let's do it I wasn't sure if it would really translate but I'm actually I stand by it I think it's a really good record so um, do you know what's interesting is that this was the first record uh, it was produced by Machine um, who's then gone on to do stuff like by Clutch Protest a Hero Lamb of God Four Year um, Strong Four Year Strong but this was the first he'd, he'd done a White Zombie single in 1996 then this was the first record that he produced himself. A really well produced album. Uh, he then also went on to do uh, the fake sound of progress by Lost Profits, or did the singles. But um, yeah, uh, so it's interesting that it's like maybe a producer at that moment where he's like really excited, yeah. doing cool ideas, fucking around in a studio. Well, exactly. They've obviously got cash from Geffen, and the band are excited to be like, "Hey, let's try this the fuck There's out." So many good ideas, and I mean, even just talking about that acoustic guitar track where that you know the it does that we stick out with cd skip and that creates the beat for it that's obviously a studio technique that's not it's very unlikely that's something they wrote and said to him oh this is what we want to happen yeah and so there's a real investment in it and it's strewn with all these cool little ideas i just i just think it's a really well realized and quite a brave step because i mean i know they'd kind of started to move in this direction from infotainment infotainment Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know how well that had been received at that point Because it, it wasn't as outstanding a record as this Yet they were still pissing off their fan base So you're pissing off your fan base But you're not doing enough maybe to capture everybody's imagination And attract this brand new fan base And they could have like they could have backpedaled a wee bit But they chose, nah, let's just keep fucking going and see what happens And for me, I think it, it worked out brilliantly It is a shame that they didn't manage to do better records following it. Deviant's not, as we said, it's not bad, but I think it's quite average. And PSI is nothing massively to write home about at all. But this is a pretty special snapshot, especially for, for me as well, growing up, this was a... It's, yeah, it's nostalgic, yeah, definitely. It's, it's got a lot of like uh, poignancy for me. Mark, you're once again on not bothered particularly uh, by it. I think there's nothing really else like it, to be honest, which I think should put it on, on its own. Yeah. Nothing before or since it's come close to kind of being drum and bass and punk and industrial metal at the same time, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Mm. I don't think it's a flawless record, uh, but I think it's worthy of being inside our discography for sure. Yeah, it's definitely very front heavy. But as an album, as a band, I think they're really interesting. They were like this sort of British metal band trying to break the mainstream when it was totally dominated by American artists. They were countercultural albeit in a very um, sort of sloganeering, cliched way a little bit, but hey, they were sort of angry at the right things. And they were also totally on it when it came to technology and, you know, using things before other people did. And then, yeah, musically, like if you're into the earlier stuff, fair enough, but you might as well go and listen to Godflesh or Fear Factory. Yeah, I mean, I think they God, do it better. Godflesh are, are probably slightly better at that than Pitchshifter yeah. were. Um, so I'm glad they kind of saw that. And I, and to me personally, I think Demanufacture by Fear Factory is mm. the pinnacle of that genre. But And then their stuff later is a bit bloated. This is like the Goldilocks period for Pitch Shifter. This yeah. album specifically is, um, yeah, definitely not flawless, but it's got 
a real sort of naive charm to it. Yeah. It's full of energy. It's sharp. And unlike the two albums that came, there's no fat on it, really. There's maybe songwriting, maybe track-wise, there's fat on it. But production-wise, there's no fat no, on no. it. It's, it's like really, really very sharp. Very lean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a nice blast from the past. Yeah, I enjoyed it, actually. It's one of the, the research periods that I've enjoyed the most in a while. So, yeah, go vote for it. Um, in the meantime, we're going to do our Nexus, aren't we? Yeah. This is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this for us? Okay, okay, that means I'm up. And um, you've got to get to... Leather Nun. Leather Nun, as uh, nominated by Corey Stewart. We picked that out of the hat last week. And, yep. uh, yeah. So, uh, Pitch Shifter uh, didn't... Now, can we just mention that I think you can actually get from Pitch Shifter to Leather Nun in wh- maybe two steps? Uh, in several different ways, but I don't think any of us have gone down the, you get, if any of the you classic got, Mark route. Have you got a two-step or Mark? No, makes us four steps. Right, okay, I can do the two-step to just prove it can be done. But let's go down the I long would, route. I would like to hear that. Um, Pitch Shifter uh, did an EP called None for All and All for None, uh, which had a picture of George W. Bush on the cover, kind of holding uh, a petrol pump, which was. I would guess being fellated by Tony Blair. George W. Bush, his vice president, was Mr. Dick Cheney. Uh, Dick Cheney was interviewed, well, it was broadcast last year, but it was interviewed uh, by Erin Murad, a.k.a. Sasha Baron Cohen, for his show, uh, Who is America? Fucking outstandingly good show and an outstandingly frightening and funny interview uh, during which Dick Cheney approves waterboarding and signs a torture kit. Now, Sasha Baron Cohen, as one of his other characters, this hasn't really... I haven't seen this reported anywhere, but I found it out during the research. It's fucking amazing. As the character Geo, remember Geo, the one that interviewed OJ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Geo, in one scene that they filmed, confessed to a concierge in like a really high-end American hotel that uh, he'd molested a wee boy. Right? Confessed it in a kind of, it was meant to be a sort of triggering joke thing. Expecting disgust. Now it's a hidden camera. The concierge offers, uh, in return, offers suggestions on how he can make that problem go away. And even says he has a specific lawyer who he can refer him to that can deal with that kind of thing. Bearing in mind that Geo in the character is this multi-multi-multi-millionaire. Uh, so this concierge thinks he's doing a favour for this multi-millionaire. Uh, and Cohen decides to take this a bit further and he jokes about murder during the conversation. And they <laughs> At least in that case, the concierge replies, oh, we can't just do that because this is America. But as the final part of the joke, I think he chances his luck and he says, Geo, the character says, uh, or asks for help uh, getting hold of uh, some company for the night. And the concierge replies, what age? And Geo Cohen replies, well, lower than bar mitzvah, but older than eight. And the concierge's reply is, oh, well, I know a guy who can help you get something like that. 
<laughs> Cohen was so appalled by it. It never made the, the show. He handed the footage over to the FBI so they could investigate it because they felt they'd kind of stumbled across... A ring of some kind. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I don't think I don't think the prosecution ever went anywhere. But as far as he was concerned, it was all genuine because he was, you know, it's hidden cameras. You've seen you've seen the show, I'm sure. Anyway, but not entrapment technically. Well, see, that's possibly why mm-hmm. it wasn't able to go anywhere. But he, he handed over the footage to the FBI anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, as one of his other characters, uh, Ali G, uh, Ali G released a single called Majoli. Mm. Uh, with Shaggy A true classic <laughs> uh, And the video for that was directed by Jonas Ackerland Who'd also done videos for everyone from Satirican to Madonna And in his debut movie Spun uh, Which featured Mickey Rourke Jonas Ackerland featured the music of Leather Nun That's why I have to <laughs> <laughs> Only I went uh, Jim Davis played guitar and pitch after He also played in Prodigy And Jonas Ackerland directed the video for Smack My Bitch Up Oh it's quick well, I mean, I can go very quickly uh, in that uh, John Clayden started a side project or af- in, after PSI started a band uh, called Do Henny with Billy Morrison from The Cult um, and uh, The Cult's vocalist Ian Asprey met with Jonas Ackerland at a Leather Nun show uh, and uh, talked about Leather Nun because they both love Leather Nun so much. Uh, I've also got a big long one that a uh, <laughs> oh, well, if you do see so yourself. Um, uh, Mark from Pitchshifter uh, joined and created a band called This Is Menace. Oh yeah, I remember this uh, is with guys from uh, Carcass, Napalm Death, Sixth, Funeral for a Friend, Earth Tone Nine, and uh, on that This Is Menace record, uh, one of the vocalists in- was uh, well included Jazz Coleman of Killing Joke, Casey Chaos from Amen, and also Charlie Simpson of Busted. Uh, Charlie Simpson of oh, Busted Fight Star And also <laughs> Fight Star uh, Fight Star's uh, f- Grand Unification record Part 1 Was produced by British producer Colin Richardson mm-hmm. Colin Richardson's also done loads and loads of stuff Like uh, Uber producer I think we could call Yeah him. built from a Valentine As I Lay Dying Devil Driver uh, Biffy Clyro Biffy Clyro and uh, Sepultura Sepultura, obviously famous for their former singer Max Cavalera, who's also in Soulfly. Soulfly's Jump the Fuck Up featured <laughs> a certain Chino Marino and Corey Taylor, I believe. Yep. Soulfly not take their name from that uh, Deftones song on Around the Fur as well. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deftones, um, of course, uh, well, Chino Marino was in the de- is Deftones and Deftones signed to Maverick. Madonna's label. Maverick is Madonna's label. Madonna, who has had several videos, including the famous Frozen and Ray of Light by Mr. Jonas Ackerland, <laughs> who then uh, likes Leather Nun. So, for the so first, first time, we all ended up at the same station. Yeah, we all went through the same link. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, maybe Leather Nun aren't as well connected as but we I think thought. we. I think that's. Jonas Ackerland is, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that says more about us because we all decided to go that route because, like, their third album was produced by like Mick Ronson. Like we could could have gone down the hardcore superstar route. John Peel, John Lee Hooker. You know, there's a lot of links, and it but just shows that we are all trying to outdo each other, and we all went down the Jonas Ackerland. I just route. wanted to mention pedophilia. I just wanted to mention Madonna, mm. and busted. Cool. <laughs> nice um, work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, great. Thanks very much, um, David. Who are we going to do next week? Uh, I believe it's Mark's choice. Okay. Mark. Who are we going to do next week? So I'm going to pick the oldest record we've done so far, uh, Mothership Connection by Parliament. Now, just to put this into context, I'm not talking about Parliament Funkadelic. 
I'm not talking about all of George Clinton's projects because we could be here for an entire hundred podcasts, but I'm talking about <laughs> just Parliament, who only have eight albums. Uh, they only have eight albums, so as opposed fine. to as opposed to Parliament Funkadelic, who've got like thirty plus. Or George um, Clinton, just overall, yeah. Dude. I'm going to have to learn a lot this week. <laughs> well, the good news is this album is, uh, is only 38 minutes long. So. But his fine. career is <laughs> fucking 50 years long. No, I'm, I, I'm, I don't think we should go down that route because we could be here for fucking ages. I'm, I'm down with that. We could do, um, so do you the wanna... funk anthology. That's coming up next week. We're going to be here every week for the next 20 years just doing funk. Do you want to uh, dig your uh, hand in the bucket and pull out the Nexus. Yep, the Nexus. I've got a choice. I've got a selection. You guys' names are still in this Nexus pot as well, by the way. Yeah. It's got, this is a big one. Friend of the pod. Benjamin Power. Benjamin Power. I've got to get from... Wesley Snipes. <laughs> oh, he's chosen it. He's chosen, no, I he's, mean... I thought you meant we had to get to Benjamin Power. I was like, all right, that's cool. So, he's uh, a musician. George Clinton to Wesley Snipes. Uh, that okay. seems really easy. <laughs> Why is that, Mark? Because they've both uh, been in jail. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think I'm pretty sure his soundtrack to films and where's the snipe to be in, so. Yeah. It's feeling more like a uh, time with Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does that mean uh, we get to talk about Passenger 57 next week? You very well could. Uh, I mean, there are many more. I know, but that's his most underrated unsung film to me. Oh, it's better on black. <laughs> <laughs> well, good choice though, Mark. Great, thanks. It'll be thanks. a busy week. Yep. Oh, must be some kind of genie! Ah! Come on! Yo! Yeah, safe.